Coach Donnie Dunja tweeted something the other day I thought was really profound, and I think it's eye-opening to what's happening with the climate that's going on in America today. Tony Dunja, Coach Dunja said, America is in a very sad place today. We've seen a man die senselessly at the hands of the very people who are supposed to be protecting our citizens. He says, we've, we've seen people protest this death by destroying the property and dreams of people in their own community, the very people they are protesting for. We have many people pointing fingers of blame, painting the opposite side with a broad brush. We have anger and bitterness winning out over love and respect. He says, what happened to George Floyd was inexcusable and it should have never happened. Justice needs to be served, but in seeking justice, we can't fall into the trap of prejudging every police officer we see. What started out as peaceful protests have devolved into arson and looting, and that should never happen either. Yes, there should be protests, but we do not, but we do not have license to perform criminal acts because we're angry. You know, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Today, we are a divided country, he says. We're divided racially, politically, and socially, economically. And Satan is laughing at us because that is exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, and hatred help his kingdom to flourish. He went on to say, well, what's the answer then? He says, I believe it has to start with those of us who claim to be Christians. We have to come to the forefront and demonstrate the qualities of the one who we claim to follow. Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says we can't be silent. As Dr. King said many years ago, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But we can't go forward with judgmental, bitter spirits. We need to be proactive, but do it in the spirit of trying to help make things better. And it can't be just African-American churches. It must be all churches taking a stand and saying we are going to be on the forefront of meaningful dialogue and meaningful change. We have to be willing to speak the truth in love, but we have to recognize that we are not fighting against other people. We are fighting against Satan and his kingdom of spiritual darkness. And he says in the words of the Apostle Paul, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's from Romans, uh, the 12th chapter, 21st verse, I believe. Now, that, that, that tweet struck me uh, for the, the realness and the transparency of it. Uh, and it, it, it hit home with me because I've been praying and asking God, where do we go next in our series of teaching here at the church? Uh, and one of the things that kept coming up in my spirit and, and I was thinking about this for a long time uh, in was this subject matter, me and my dysfunctional family, me and my dysfunctional family. Now, that says a whole lot. You say, where are you going with that, brother pastor? Well, I'm going to go wherever the Holy Spirit takes us. That's what I plan to do. And I'm full of full of word that he's put inside of me. And so y'all pray that God will allow me to get that word out in a manner that's understandable and you know exactly what we're talking about. And we can know what our responsibility is as born again believers. 
So let's, let's, let's talk about me and my dysfunctional family. Y'all heard me say on numerous occasions that all of us in here, all of us who are born again believers, uh, come from dysfunctional families. Everybody who's on this earth is a part of a family that has some dysfunction. Well, Pastor, that's a big word you're throwing out there. Let's define it. Okay, I, I like to define words because when you look in the dictionary and find out what a word means, then you can better grasp what this what the message and what the phrase is talking about. So dysfunctional. What does dysfunctional mean? It means not operating normally or properly. Very simple. To be dysfunctional means that it's not operating normally or properly. How many of y'all grew up in family? You say, well, this, this ain't normal. This is not proper. You may have grew up in a family where physical abuse was, was rampant. You may have grew up in a family where, where there was not, uh, uh, you know, uh, loving care and all this type of thing that, that you would expect to have. And, and, and those things are not normal. It's not operating properly. So that's what dysfunctional means. How many of y'all know we have some churches that are dysfunctional? They're not operating the way God designed for them to operate. And so, so dysfunctional means not operating normally or properly. And there's some synonyms, uh, which means the same thing. Synonyms for the dysfunctional, uh, it, it, it means troubled. Hear me carefully, because we're talking about me and my dysfunctional family. There's some synonyms that for dysfunctional, it means troubled. It means distressed. It means uh, uh, unsettled. It means un- upset. It means distraught. It means unbalanced, unstable, disordered, maladjusted. Any of y'all feel maladjusted? Neurotic, emotionally confused. Unhinged, mixed up, messed up. And I, I would dare say that, that if you're really honest with me, if you're honest with yourself, there have been periods of time in your life where, where you can say that, that I, I, I've been distressed, I've been troubled, I've been unsettled, I've been distraught, I've been emotionally confused, I've been unhinged, Pastor. I, you know, Pastor, I, I've actually been messed up. And we're going to talk about this thing because it's critically important because if we're going to get to where God desires for us to be, we have to make sure that that we come out of this dysfunctional state and we begin to operate the way God designed for us to operate. Let's look at family, because, again, when I heard when I use the term family, many of y'all immediately let your mind flow exclusively to your family. But I'm going to use family Based on the definition, in a way that is probably a little bit different than what you would normally be accustomed to. So I looked it up for you, so you won't have to go look it up. Y'all will tell me, thank you. Thank you. All right, praise God. You're welcome. So the definition of family is three, 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 three uh, phrases or three things, schools of thought on this word family here. Number one is a group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. That's a family, okay? That's what we traditionally think of. But look at this next definition. All the descendants of a common ancestor. I want you to read that with me out loud and on purpose. All the descendants of a common ancestor. And I got news for you. Whether you're black, white, yellow, green, purple. All of us are common. And we come from the same ancestor. We come from Adam and Eve. So that makes all of us what? Family. All right. Look, look at it again. A group of one or more parents and their children living together as a unit. Number two, all the descendants of a common ancestor. 
If you believe the Bible, if you believe in creation, if you believe that God created the heavens and earth, if you believe that God planted a man and a woman in the Garden of Eden and they birthed children, amen, as a result of, of, of that union and coming together, then that means that all of us came from Adam and Eve. So that means every last one of us, no matter where we come from, who our people are, we are family. So we're talking about me and my dysfunctional family. Look at number three, a group of related things. Amen. It's considered to be family, family. So we're going to as we go through this, this message series, we'll be hitting on and touching on aspects of each one of these particular areas because we need to get our dysfunctional family back right. We need to get from being unhinged. We need to get from being mixed up. We need to get from being distraught. We need to get from being un- unbalanced. Amen. For our, again, when we look at this thing today, we, we're going to look at these particular viewpoints and and uh, th- these viewpoints can encompass our birth family, our families of origin. It can encompass our church family. It can encompass our work family. Uh, it can encompass this nation. Hear me carefully. This nation as a family of Americans and it can encompass the entire human race. As a species of being, we came from Adam and Eve. Every last one of us on this planet descended from Adam and Eve. So we are family. We're family. Now, last week, guys, as we finished up the book of Philippians, we examined a pivotal moment in the life of Jacob. When Jacob, when Jacob actually wrestled with the angel, wouldn't let him go until he blessed him. Right? Y'all remember that? Jacob's name, we've discovered, means cheater or schemer in the Hebrew. And but but we said that a life changing experience turned him into a new person, guys, turned him into a new person. And he became Israel, the man after whom the entire nation of Israel was later named. After that experience, Jacob was never the same again. He was a very dysfunctional person because if your name is cheater, if your name means cheater and schemer, that means that you got some stuff going on because again, in the Hebrew, when they named kids, it fit their personality bent. So he was a cheater, he was a schemer. But guys, if you, if you study Jacob's family, here's what I want to get to. If you study Jacob's family history, you can see that cheating and scheming and lying was not anything new. Hello. When you study, when you go back and we're going to go back and look, you're going to see a lot of scheming and lying going on in his family of origin. And whether we care to admit it or not, many of us carry traits and characteristics that comes from our own families of origin. Our individual family. I know we all come from Adam and Eve, but then I'm talking about when you look at your individual family, whether it's the Jones, the Smith, the whoever, uh, the, 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 the Caldwells, the Adams, the Hendersons, whoever you may be, the Whites. I mean, you have some traits, whether you care to admit it or not, that are reflective of your family of origin. Can I get a witness? So, so we, we, we're going to discover, uh, you know, that, that when we look at Jacob's family, that, that the, he wasn't the only one that was messed up. He wasn't the only one that was unhinged. He was not the only one, a man who was mixed up, who was emotionally confused, who was neurotic and maladjusted. He was not the only one who was unstable. Now, now, so, 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 but Pastor, uh, when you look at Jacob, when you look at his family, when you know the history, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
When you understand that his family was messed up, confused, uh, uh, unhinged, distraught, amen, uh, when, when things went on uh, in his family that was, that was even beyond uh, where we were going to start our studying at, when you understand that, that when you have brothers who sell you into, into slavery, that was part of Jacob's family, when you have brothers who sell you into slavery because they're jealous of you, your family messed up. And there's some dysfunctionality that is there that needs to be addressed. And I will submit to you that that America today has some dysfunctionality. America is not operating properly. Can y'all hear me today? America is not operating properly because if you're going to have democracy, you got to have morality. Democracy does not work without people being moral and have a moral compass and you have laws and rules and regulations that people are abiding by. So our family, family of Americans are dysfunctional. Here's the problem that we have a lot of time in the church and in America. Nobody wants to talk about the dysfunctionality. Everybody wants to talk about how good and great we are. And trust me, we're God's children. He loves us. He loves us more than, than anything. But guys, in order to get better, in order to be who God called and ordained for us to be, we got to learn how to look at ourselves and, 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 and yeah, plot, plot the good, but also address the bad. Can I get a witness again? We got, we can applaud the good. Yes. Amen. Thank God for what he's brought us from be great. But we, we cannot fail to deal with the dysfunction that's going on in the family. And many of us, just like us as Americans, a lot of times we don't want to deal with the dysfunctionality. We want to just talk about how good everything is. Well, if you're going to be great, you got to deal with the problematic situations. That's one of the things that, again, I, you know, I, I hope you're appreciating and learning as we go through um, uh, teaching in, in this church is that and as we uh, try to move the ministry forward, one of the things that we must do if we're going to be better at what we're doing is learn how to deal with our problematic situation, problems that need to be resolved, whether it's Internet connection, whether it's uh, streaming live, whether it's whatever it is, we got to learn how to deal with it and, and not think that that takes something away from us. It actually enhances us and makes us better. So we gonna talk about me and my dysfunctional family. How do we begin to address our own dysfunctionality because Jacob's family, although they were messed up, although they were they were confused, although they were unstable, although they were unhinged, guess what? God chose his family to birth the Savior into the earth realm. So God can use you. He can use me in spite of our dysfunctionality. He did it through all, all through our scriptures. So let's take a look at it and see how Jacob, once he acknowledged that he was a cheater. Once he, you know, when the angel asked him what his name was, he was straight up with him. He said, my name is Jacob. That means I'm a cheater and I'm a schemer. Once he acknowledged his faults, once he acknowledged where he was falling short, then God was able to use him more completely and to be able to birth the Savior through his lineage. So, so let, let's, let, I, I, I got to say this because I, I think it's really important. If we as a church body, and I, and I, I like what, Dr. Tony, what Tony Dungy said, this can't be the church has to to be at the forefront of effective change in America. The church, the world doesn't have the answer. I'm going to say it again. The world doesn't have the answer. The church has got to be honest about where we are. And when the church is honest, when Christians stand up for justice, when Christians stand up for what's right and call sin, sin, then we're going to see transformation take place. 
So we're going to look back. Let's, if you will, go back, go back with me to the book of Genesis, chapter number two. And we'll start reading at verse number 21. Genesis two, verse number 21. This is important, guys, because the church has to get right. I'm going to I tell you what, before we go there, I want you to flip with me. Let's, thank you, Holy Spirit. Go to Matthew, the 14th chapter. Matthew chapter 14. I think that's where I want to go. Let's go to Matthew, the 14th chapter right quick. And we're going to look at verse number one. I want to share this with you because sometimes we don't step up and get to where we need to be because maybe somebody's not talking to us directly the way we need to be talked to directly. I want to share this with you because. And I, I got to deal with the church, OK, I got to deal with the church because politicians are not. We as believers should never put our hope in a politician. I'm going to say it again. We as believers should not have our hope in a politician. Amen. Can I get a witness? Amen. But when we look at this thing here, I want, I want to show you something what happened here because here's what's happening with the church. The church was never designed to transform the world through government. And what has happened is some of my Christian brothers on the right and on the left have decided that change is going to take place through the government. Now, listen, the government has its role, but it's up to us, the church, to help transform this community and this world that we live in and not depend on the government. Democrats have done it and Republicans have done it. And we, we, we and we've in a lot of cases, we've married our churches and allowed the political agenda to drive our church agenda. And I'm here to tell you that is as dysfunctional as the day is long. And so we got to call stuff out. We got to call. Stuff out. This is something that, that I, I really it hurts my heart when I see uh, 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 Christians not call out sin because it's going to help. It's going to hurt their political uh, 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 candidate. Look at what happened in the book of Matthew, the 14th chapter. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus never sought out to change the world politically. When you go back and look at him and you look at his disciples, they didn't do a lot of politics. And I'm sure they probably were involved in some way. But you look at what their message was. Their message was always to go and to preach the gospel, to go and build a relationship, to go and make disciples. And through that making of disciples, they transformed communities. As a matter of fact, the book of Acts says they were people who turned the world upside down. I want the church in America to become a church that's turning America upside down. Now, watch what watch what happens here now. OK, because here's what the church has a responsibility to do. As it relates to the political climate. He says, when Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about Jesus. The text, he said to his advisors, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That's why he can do so much. He can do such miracles. Verse number three says what for Herod? had arrested and imprisoned John, watch this, as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother, Philip. Now, now, John had been telling Herod, now watch this, here is the man of God speaking truth to power. I like this. Here's the man of God who didn't really get involved in the political stuff, but when when the when the political stuff got to be immoral stuff, he spoke out. Here's what happened: Herod Antipas literally stole his brother's wife. 
check it out. Herod Antipas took his brother's wife. So the Bible says John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry her. Watch this. Look at, the, look at that verse. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because all the people believed John was a prophet. They saw John, the one who was who was crying in the wilderness, John, who was who, who had significant power and authority, the forerunner of Christ. So he was popular and the people believed that John the Baptist was a pro- prophet, was a prophet. So Herod wanted to kill him, but he was afraid of, the, of a riot breaking out because the people were going to get upset if they killed John the Baptist. See some similarities here. Watch this. Watch this. Now, now watch this. So he didn't kill him. Watch what happened. So but a birthday party for Herod. Herodotus, his daughter, performed a dance that greatly pleased him. Now watch this now because he wanted to kill him, but he couldn't kill him because of the people. But look at the next verse. Watch this. Watch this. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. In other words, his wife, his new wife, his brother's wife, who he took from her, took from him. And John the Baptist called him out for his immorality. Here, here's a problem I have. When a Christian, I don't, it, listen, it doesn't matter who you voted for. When you vote for a candidate, if that candidate is wrong, if he's saying something that's sinful and wrong, as a born-again believer, you lose your credibility when you refuse to call out, call out sin because that's your, that's your boy. That's your candidate. You lose credibility. You lose credibility, especially when, when four years ago you called out whatever you saw that was immoral, but now you won't. It's like crickets. Nobody is saying anything. Because I believe that many people have decided that we're going to transform America through the political system. I'm here to tell you, a law cannot change a man's heart. And you can you can you can get a law, you can get all the judges. And I'm not saying that that you don't try to elect people who have like mindedness, but don't trust in the system. Trust in God. And when anybody who's in the system, a man do something, does something or says something that's immoral as a born again believer, you got to speak out. Too many times the Christians have set back. I don't care when, it's your, when your guy was in office, you, you know, whoever your guy was, you don't say anything when he does something or puts a law into place or does something immoral because that's your guy. We're called to call it out. Dysfunctionality will not be resolved unless we are honest about what we see. Can I get a witness? So watch what the text says. So he promised her, he promised with a vow to give her anything she wants. Now, the guy, listen to what happened here. This girl danced so, I don't know if she danced seductively or what. It was his, 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 his mistress, who now his wife, her daughter, just danced. I don't know what she did. She made it back the thing up. You know, back it. Showed him what she was working with. But whatever it was, it pleased him. Now, watch what happens here. This guy makes a vow after seeing this. Let's go back to the text. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. So he promised with a vow to give her anything she wanted. Next verse says what? At her mother's urging, the girl said, I want the head of John the Baptist on the tray. Now, the mama who was the mistress, who's now the wife, still remembers that John the Baptist, amen, exposed their sin. So she still got in the head. So Herod, because of the people, wouldn't kill him. So now she got him in a position here now because when he made that vow to her, he made that vow in front of all of his guests. And when the king makes a decree publicly like that, even if he doesn't want to carry it through, he's got to carry it through. Because of the embarrassment and because of 
the, uh, his fear that people won't think that he follows through on his word. After, again, I want the head of John the Baptist on the, on the tray. Watch the next verse. Watch this. Watch this. Come on, let's go. Then the king regretted what he had said because of the vow he had made in front of his guests. He, he issued the necessary orders. Text said, next verse, watch this. So John was beheaded in the prison. Next verse. And his head was brought on a tray and given to the girl who took it to her mama. Now, ain't that, ain't that a blip? They in sin. And when their sin is called out, you're the king, you're the leader of the country. And when the man of God calls out sin, John the Baptist, I'm glad he wasn't like some jellyback spine preachers who won't call out sin. Let the word be the word. And that word hits me as well as it hits you. It don't just hit Democrats. It don't just hit Republicans. It hits everybody. And we got to, we, if we're going to transform this world and this country that we live in, if we're going to eliminate the dysfunctionality, if we're going to begin to operate like we were designed to operate, the church has to call sin, sin, no matter who's indulged in it. So John the Baptist, amen, he spoke, amen, against the morality. Now, now, now watch this. Listen, I, I, want you to, I want you to go with me right quick, if you will. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, because you've heard me say this before. We as born-again believers can't spend all of our time looking at the world, unsaved people, and trying to get them right. We need to look at them and try to get them saved. And there's a difference between trying to get them right. Stop doing what you're doing. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. No, no, no. And say, listen, listen, there's a man that I met who transformed my life. And I would like to introduce you to this Jesus, my Savior, and and give you an opportunity to hear what he's done for me. Would you like to hear that? Rather than stop this, stop that. Don't do that. Do that. Oh, Lord, look at you. Now, look at what the text says in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And let's start our reading at verse number nine. First Corinthians chapter five, verse number nine. Glory to God. Are y'all still with me today? Say me and my dysfunctional family. Yes, yes, Lord. And we got dysfunctionality all around us, guys, all around us. Look at what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, when I wrote to you before, watch what he says now. I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Is that right? Look at the next verse. Watch what it says here. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or who cheat people or who worship idols. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about unbelievers. It says you would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. But look at what it says. Watch what it says here. Look at look at the text says. I mean that you are not to associate with anyone who claims who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or who cheats people. Paul says, don't even eat with those people. Oh, Brett Pastor, is, is that, isn't that a little bit harsh? No, no, it ain't. Because, listen, we're called upon to judge sin in the church. Oh, I got you now, preacher. I got you now, preacher. Because you know Jesus says don't judge. Well, listen, 
do, do me a favor. Before you start saying stuff that you don't know what you're talking about, please start reading your Bible in context. Hello? Oh, Pastor, I, you know, I, I read in, uh, in a passage where Paul says, uh, uh, don't pronounce judgment uh, before the time, before the Lord comes. Over in First, uh, first Corinthians, the, the fourth chapter, verse number five, he says, uh, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart. Then each one will receive his com- com- commendation from God. Well, you know, didn't Paul say that? But then now he's saying, you'll judge this stuff because let's, let's look at the context. OK, what did Jesus say? Jesus said in Matthew 7, chapter 7, verse number 1 through, two, 1 through 2, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. But then he says to judge over in John 7 and 24. He says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So which one is it, Pastor? I've always been told to judge not. Well, context, context. This is a classic case of having to read scripture in context, trying to establish Bible teaching on the basis of an individual verse without reference to the context is bad. It's a bad thing to do, and it's a common practice in the church. Somebody, so, somebody plucked one verse out of context. If you read further in Paul's letter to the believers in Corinth, he says, let's get back there to 1 Corinthians 5, because again, he did say, uh, therefore, do not pronounce judgment in 1 Corinthians 4 and 5. But look at what he says in the fifth chapter. And all this is part of the contextual letter that he's writing here. 1 Corinthians 5, look at verse 12 and 13. Let's bump down there right quick. He says this. It is a, uh, go back to verse 11. Let's go to verse 11. He says, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or is worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people don't even eat with such people. Look at what he says. Next verse. Let's go. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Watch this now. He didn't say it wasn't my responsibility to judge. He says it's not my responsibility to judge outsiders. Who is he talking about? Those who are not a part of the body of Christ. Look at the text, y'all. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is. It certainly is. Who's he talking to? The church at Corinth. It certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. That's what he said. He tells the church at Corinth, because, you know, the church at Corinth, if any church were dysfunctional, this church were dysfunctional, y'all. In his very chapter, he dealt with a a, a young man who was having a uh, an adulterous relationship with his stepmother. And everybody in the community knew about it and the church didn't deal with it. Paul says, it's your responsibility, church at Corinth, to judge those inside the church who are sinning. That's what he says. So, 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 uh, look, look at verse 13 with me right quick. Watch this, watch this. God, watch this. Who's going to judge those outside? God will judge those outside. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. In other words, when you have someone in the church, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about somebody who's struggling with something. I'm not talking about somebody who's, who's trying to get out of it and they struggle and they're they fighting through, they're they praying with you. I'm talking about the person who's deciding, they might, listen, I don't care what you say. I, I believe it's okay for me to marry this man. I'm a man. I'm going to marry this man. That's reprobate. 
That's not somebody struggling with homosexuality. That, that, that's not somebody who's struggling with, you know, whatever sin it is, adultery, gambling, sexual immorality. He says, he's talking about removing the person who's become reprobate because in this fifth chapter, this dude was with his stepmama and nobody was saying anything about it. They just going on having church like usual. He said, y'all got to deal with that because they're part of the body of Christ. Mm. So he told them to judge it, didn't he? Right? So we ought to judge sin within the church. Look, watch this, watch this. Look, look at all, look at all, when you look at all those verses together, when you look at what Jesus said and uh, when, you, when, you, when you look at what Paul says, um, the overall teaching seems to be this. Number one, don't judge people's motives. Because after all, you, you don't really know what's in their heart. You, you can kind of guess, but don't judge people's motives. Don't act as though you can judge whether someone will be in God's kingdom or not. That ain't our job. It's not my job to say whether or not you're going to be saved. My job is just to preach and witness to you. Okay? So quit going around trying to decide who got to heaven and who didn't. That's, 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 that's above our pray grade. I don't spend time trying to figure out did they make it in or not. I, I want to spend time trying to discover that you make a decision for Christ. That's what I got to do. Don't judge harshly either. When, when, when you're judging in the church, don't judge harshly or God will going to deal with you in the same way. Because remember in Galatians 6, and 6, 1 and 2 says, if a brother be overtaken in the fault, you who are spiritual, go and restore that brother in a spirit of meekness. Consider your own self, lest you falter into the same thing. So go with a spirit of meekness. Don't judge harshly. When you're dealing with sin in the church, when you're dealing with somebody who's fallen in sin, listen, don't go over there trying to crucify them and crush them. Go to try to pick them up if they're ready to get out. Now, listen, you ain't ready to get out if you go back next week and do the same thing. Oh, Brother Pastor, I'm struggling, though. Well, you, okay, if you're struggling, I need to walk with you. You need some accountability. Let's walk together. I'm, I'm going to love you through it. I'm not going to look at you differently. I, I, want, I want you to know that we're here for you. Can I get a witness? Again, and, and, and we're not to judge unbelievers. Amen? They ain't committing themselves to the God life. We're not to judge them. We, we, we're not to judge unbelievers. That's what Paul said, okay? So, so let's, let's, let's keep moving here because I think it's really important that we understand something. The church has to have a response to this national dysfunction that we're dealing with. And one of the things that the church has to do is, is call out sin when we see our government officials operating in sin. Okay? We got to call out. That's what John the Baptist did. Now, he's calling out that sin from the government official, but at the same time, Paul says, our focus is not on those outside, but our focus should be on those inside. But John the Baptist knew, and he, he knew that, that Herod had done something that was egregious. And I don't care what you say. Whoever's leading the country, that atmosphere, that climate will filter down to the rest of the country. I don't care what's happening in a church. A church will take on the persona, the characteristic, the personality of the person who's leading it. So I, I want y'all to have, I want y'all to have a, a love for God here at this church. I don't, I don't want to set an atmosphere where anything goes. We want to love God, love people, and when people mess up, we want to we go and pick them up and say, listen, hey, listen, you made a bad choice to sin. No, you sinned. You did something crazy. Let's talk about that craziness, that, that dysfunctionality, and let's deal with it. Let's get you back in, in, in place where God needs you. You got a gift that he needs to use 
to help this body get where it needs to be. So we're going to love on you. We're going to love, we'll love you through your foolishness. Have any of y'all ever had somebody love you through your foolishness before? I need about three witnesses out there who know you've, you've messed up. You've been dysfunctional. You've been, you've been emotionally distraught. You've been maladjusted. <laughs> and somebody who loves you dearly, somebody that's a part of one of your family units, church, family of origin, came and said, listen, you messed up royal, but you know what? I still love you. And come on, let's get up. Get up. Let's go back to the father's house. I'm going to walk with you. It's a struggle, but I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to be there with you until we get it right, until we allow the Lord to do what he wants to do and you perfect you, okay? We got to get to that point as a church, that's what we do, because it's us in our dysfunctional family that God says we got to deal with. Jacob had a dysfunctional family. And let's go back to where it started. If you will, go to Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 21. Genesis 2 and 21, glory to God. Take a look back and see how dysfunction began. Because if we're going to deal with it, I think we got to see where it began, right? Jacob was a trickster. Jacob was a cheater. But it didn't just start with him. There was some family of origin stuff that you got to deal with. And there's some stuff that we got to deal with as a country, as a church, as individual families. Look at what the text says here in Genesis 2, verse number 21. So how dysfunction began. First of all, let's look at the gift of marriage and family because, again, here's where it starts. The text says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Verse 22, let's read together. It says, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Got to go back to the beginning, guys. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Verse number 24, let's read together. It says what? This explains why man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into what? One. So first thing we got to. We go back here. We're talking about family, okay? We're talking about family here. And again, all of us came from this family. Look at the gift of marriage and family because God was the designer of it. Amen. If God designed it, then that means it's a good thing, right? First thing we got to look at is see this marriage and family is God's idea. Everybody say marriage and family is God's idea. It was instituted by God himself. Therefore, we cannot and should not dismiss it, diminish it, or degrade it in any way. Marriage and family is critically important to God's plan of redemption here in the earth. As a matter of fact, when man fell in the garden, God already had his plan in place to use to be born into the earth realm through a family unit. Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Amen. Tabernacle down here for 33 and a half years or so. Went to, to, to the cross of Calvary. Died on Golgotha's hill. Amen. And was buried in a borrowed tomb. Resurrected the third day morning with all power and heaven earth in his hand. And now we have a right to come and be a part of the family of God. But God had to use a family to get the Savior to the earth realm. 
Second thing I want to make point of is this. All that God created is good, but marriage and family is seen by God as very good. Very good. Very good. Now, we need to contrast that with the way our culture makes light of marriage and family. Because you see a lot of sitcoms, you see a lot of uh, comedians out there making fun of husband and wife relationship, making fun of family, uh, just, just degrading it so much so that people think marriage is something they should run from now. Marriage, the Bible says, is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. I told you before, it's not the institution of marriage that's the problem. It's the folks who's in the institution. Can I get a witness? So, so we, we got to contrast that because it's, you know, marriage is scoffed at and it's, it's treated lightly. It's the butt of jokes, but God said it's very good. Third thing I want you to make, make note of, God created, created Eve and brought her unto, into Adam's life because Adam was incomplete and in need of help. God created Eve and brought her into Adam's life because Adam was incomplete and in need of her. Talk about the family unit because we're talking about dysfunctional family. Let's look at how family started. Let's look at when the dysfunction, when it stopped operating normally or properly or the way God designed for it to operate. Glory to God. So, so, so God has created people to need human companionship. I don't care what you say. Everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs somebody in their life. You were created for that. We are not self-sufficient. We need helpers in our life. I want want to make a note here. The word helper used to describe the first woman is the same Hebrew term applied to God in the Old Testament. Go to Psalms 33 and 20. The same word is utilized to describe, amen, God. Because God, who's Whose, whose, whose spirit, amen, uh, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is spirit, his Holy Spirit, amen, was sent to help us when Jesus went back to glory and was seated on the right hand of the Father. Look at what the text says. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Now watch that. That same word that's used for Eve there is used right here. It says he's our help and our shield. That means that Eve, that means that wives, ladies, y'all are in some pretty high cotton. Y'all, y'all are some high company because y'all are right there with, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete, the one who's called alongside to help us. And as, as a wife, amen, you're called alongside to help your husband. I'm going to say it again. Us husbands don't know all the help we need. I got to say that again. Can I get three wives out there to, to greet me? Say, my husband don't know all the help he needs. Yeah, we need some help because we're incomplete. God said it from the very beginning. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper who's suitable for him. That's God's design. Amen. So helper in the same sense that the Holy Spirit helps us is wives help their husbands. Come on. Psalm 70, verse number five. Look at it, look at it one more time. Just want just to put some Scriptural foundation upon it is teaching. He says, he says, but as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. God, you are my helper. Same, same word. And my savior, O Lord, do not delay. We need some help. <laughs> Amen. 
Number four, point number four, I want, I want to get back to that right quick. Uh, point number four, marriage at its core is about companionship. Talking about family unit, talking about marriage and family. Marriage at its core is about companionship. Emotionally, spiritually, and physically, God made the woman to be suitable for the man. And literally, literally, guys, literally, the idea is that he created a female mate who would correspond to the male. I don't know about anybody else, but my wife, amen, fits me perfectly. I don't know about you, staff, but I believe I'm right. Your wife fits you perfectly. I don't know about you, Elijah, but I believe your wife fits you. Rod, I I believe your wife fits you perfectly. Because we complement one another. Can I get a witness? So, So literally, the idea is that he created a female mate that would correspond to the male. The idea is that sharing the same nature, they are able to complement one another, fitting together, filling up the empty spaces in each other's lives. That's what we're designed to do because family is important. Now, again, complement don't mean that we're the same because if we were the same, I think a lot, it, it, it almost seemed like to me that opposites attract and where we're weak, they seem to be strong and vice versa. I believe that's a, that's a reason for that. Because if they're going to compliment us, they're going to be our helper that's suitable for us. That means that where we got some shortcomings, they got some strength. And where we got some strength, they got some shortcomings. And then we fit together. We, we, we work like hand in glove. Can I get a witness? And if it does fit, come on, we're going we're gonna to have a blessed relationship. Can I get a witness? Now, well, watch, watch. Now, now, we know that there are differences because there, 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 there are differences in every type of family because all of us, if, if we're honest about it, have people in our family that are different than us. Even in our marriage relationship, sometimes we don't covet those differences. But I want to challenge you today because if we're going to be a family that's dealing with our dysfunctionality, if we're going to be a nation that deals with our dysfunctionality, we got to learn how to deal with the difference. Now, this is not on your, on your, on your notes, but I'm, I'm going to just drop this on you right quick. Number one, recognize the difference. Recognize that we are different. Listen, people have different cultural backgrounds. You can be the same ethnic person. You can come from the ethnic, same ethnic group and have different culture. I would guess, and Brother, Brother Elijah, you, you're from, uh, from Liberia. I bet the culture in Liberia, although it's simply an English-speaking nation, that culture is still different than America. Okay. So even though skin is still skin and skin is black, but there's a different culture. So just because you got the same ethnicity don't mean you got the same culture. And then if you don't have the same culture, then you can sometimes have a, a situation where you bump head and you have dysfunctionality. Are y'all with me today? So we're different. So, so, so recognize the differences. Acknowledge that we're not all the same. We are different. Family members are different. Come on. In marriage and in, and in these other family units that we're going to talk about. Recognize the differences, work to understand the differences, learn to appreciate the differences, and lastly, utilize the differences. That's what God does with us. He says in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, that he's given all of us spiritual gifts. All of us don't have the same gift, but we have that whatever gift we have, we are to utilize it, amen, to help build the body of Christ. He's, he gave ministry gifts, the five-fold ministry gift, to train and develop the body of Christ so that your gifting can be used to build the body. We're different, but we want to utilize our differences to make things happen. In America, we are different people. Amen. We come from different backgrounds, different parts of the country, do things differently. 
But that don't mean it's all bad. Learn how to utilize those differences. Amen? The truth is we're designed by God and sovereignly brought together to complement one another. And I believe that's true for this family of Americans that we have here. But we don't learn how to appreciate those differences. We're going to find ourselves being more and more dysfunctional. Fifth thing I want you to just make a note of, marriage and family involves the establishment of a brand new household. It involves the establishment of a brand new household. The man leaves his parents, and in a public act, he promises himself to his wife. The man and the woman are joined together by taking responsibility, guys, taking responsibility for each other's welfare and by loving the mate above all others. So, so marriage involves establishing a brand new household. And, and lastly, marriage and family is intended to be an intimate union. The idea that two will become one flesh implies more than just physical relations, guys. It's more than just physical. It suggests a deep unity and intimacy, a commingling of lives. So, so if, we, if, if marriage and family is, in, is designed to be an intimate union, and, in, and we got our family of origin, but we also have a family, a nation family, amen, of the United States of America, then something is wrong with our family. There's dysfunction in our family because the level of intimacy cannot be there if we won't address our dysfunctionality. And I'm telling you not right now, people like to talk about certain sins, but they won't deal with, 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 with sins that, that, that they're uncomfortable dealing with. And God said, you got to deal with all of it. You can't just talk about abortion. You got to talk about racism. You can't just talk about uh, gambling or stealing. You got to talk about other things. Loving your neighbor as yourself. And the church has to be at the forefront of that. The church has to lead the charge. Judgment begins at the household of God. And if we don't get it right, they're not going to get it right. The world's not going to get right. So if you keep trying to change the world through the political system, I'm not saying don't be politically involved, but you can't change a man's heart with a law. There There are civil rights laws on the book. There are laws against discrimination and employment on the books. But guess what? People do what they want to do. I tell you, I get this example all the time. And God bless, you know, y'all pray for me. Because when I'm traveling, I like to go a little bit over, above the speed limit. Am I the only one in the house? And I have been stopped before by state troopers, by Bossier Parish Sheriff's deputies. And I'm going to tell y'all something. I, 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 don't know, I don't know about how they do it anywhere else, but I, I, just, I'm, I can talk about my experience. You know what? I would much rather... I don't, I don't want to make this sound like I just speed all the time, but sometimes I'm driving along and I'm not paying attention to what I'm doing. You, know, you ever been that way? You're, you're driving along, you listen to the radio or doing whatever, and you're just daydreaming, and next thing you know, you're doing 47 in a 35. And so I've gotten stopped by state troopers on the highway, and they pull up and they say, uh, can I get your driver's license, sir? I pull my driver's license, I can give it to them, and, and they go on and write the ticket. You know, state troopers are, are real. They, they, most of them that I've ran into are real cordial. They'll answer your questions, and, 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 but they keep writing. You can tell, you know how it is, you, you, sometimes you want them to feel sorry for you. I tell you, one time, Junior Boy and I were coming back from having moved Sandra, and we were coming through uh, over about Tallulah. 
uh, and I got pulled over by a state trooper. He was a brother. I said, brother, brother, in a sense, let me back up. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, so I can't call him brother, but he's an African-American. I thought to myself, now this, this is what I thought to myself, well, maybe I got a chance to talk him out of this. He was real nice and cordial, but he kept writing. And he kept writing. He gave me that ticket. I've, I've been stopped by Bozeman Parish Sheriff's uh, deputies, uh, and every last one of them been very cold to nice. And, and you know what? Most of the time, I, I don't, you know, they give me warnings. Now, I'm not getting stopped all the time. They, they, I'm sure they put my name in the database. If I get another one in six months, they'll probably write me up. But they, they, been, they were real nice. Uh, Mr. Adams, you, make sure you slow it down. Guess what I said? Yes, sir, I'll slow it down. My point is this. The law was there to regulate my speed. But the law couldn't change me from speed or stop me from speed. That's why Jesus came. Because the law could not perfect us. We couldn't keep it. So we have need of a Savior. As a matter of fact, God gave the law to show prideful man that you can't do this by yourself. Because man has a tendency to do it. I got this. I'm going to do it by myself. I got it. I ain't going to ask for no help. You put that baby's bike together in the, in the front wheels on the back wheel and the pedals are all upside down because you wouldn't ask for help. Wouldn't read the direction. We prideful. We prideful. We prideful. And guys, listen. Listen to me. The law can't change a man's heart. Are y'all with me? The law cannot change a man's heart. But God can. The Holy Spirit can. And so we got to realize that, 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 that we, 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 we got to deal with some things. I'm going I'm, I'm to give you a couple of things, uh, and then we're gonna, I'm going to let you go to the house, and we're going to pick back up on next week. The reference to Adam, Adam and Eve here, go, go to Genesis 3, chapter verse number 1. Uh, the reference to Adam and Eve being naked and unashamed uh, is an important working uh, play on words here that meant to contrast with the slickness of the serpent who came into the Garden of Eden. Talking about how dysfunction began. See, we got to realize before dysfunction, before Adam and Eve failed, there was not dysfunction. They were in a perfect environment. And so we got to have the type of focus that God wants us to have in order to, to, to be able to deal with our dysfunctionality. But look at Genesis 3, verse number 1. Watch what the text says here. Because Satan has a plan for, for dysfunction. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to just hit these and we're going to pick them back up next week, Okay. All right, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And the text says one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did he really say that? Watch what the next verse says. Of course, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, for if you do, you will die. Next verse says what? Let's watch this. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. Check this out. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Next verse says what? The woman was convinced. Now watch, I got to stop here, because look here. Satan has a plan to sow dysfunction in your life. The first thing he does is this. Number one, he brings doubt. What does he do? First thing he does is he brings doubt. Everybody say doubt. He makes you question God's word and makes you question God's goodness. He brings doubt. Satan's plan for dysfunction involves doubt. Second thing is, 
He brings discouragement. Okay? He brings discouragement. He makes you look at your problems rather than at God. He wants you to get your eyes off of God and place it on the problem. He wants you to get your eyes off of God and, and go and, and, and bust up some stuff and go steal some stuff and go loot some stuff. Are y'all following me? He, he wants you to get your eyes off of God when the word says, be ye angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down to your wrath, neither give place to the devil. He wants you to forget all about that and put your, put your mind on the problem and forget about the word. So he, he sows doubt. He brings discouragement. He brings, third thing is diversion. Amen. He makes the wrong things seem attractive so that you will want them more than the right things. Diversion. Here's, watch this hand over here, but don't look at what this hand over here is doing. Watch, look at this hand over here, but don't watch this one back over here. Yo, magicians are are very good at that sleight of hands. They'll have your attention on something over here while they're doing whatever they're doing to bring that bird out of that, whatever. You you know how magicians do, right? Diversion, that's what Satan does. He brings diversion. He makes the wrong things seem attractive so that you want them more than the right thing. As old blue song said, is loving you is wrong. I don't want to be right. If being right means being without you. Yeah, y'all know the rest of it, don't you? See, he'll make it seem attractive. You know that loving that woman is wrong, but he'll get you to the point where you say, I don't want to be right. And you say. Diversion. He will divert your attention. Number four, defeat. He makes you feel like a failure so that you don't even try. Y'all ever felt like you were defeated before you even stepped out? Y'all ever felt defeated before where you just, I'm not even going to try anymore. That's what he wants to make you feel defeated. And lastly, he wants to bring delay because he wants to make you put off doing something so that it never gets done. That's, that's Satan's plans for dysfunctionality in your life. Doubt, he brings doubt. That's what he told Eve. Yea, did God say Eve? Did God really mean that Eve? He takes Eve and begins to sprinkle doubt on God's word. And that's what he's doing with the church today. Getting folks to believe, to not believe in the inerrant word of God. There are many churches today who don't believe that the Bible is God's inerrant word. And they're not, they're not governing their Christian life and their church life based on the word of God. They're, based, they're, they're, they're governed based off of what's the political correctness of the day. And I'm not interested in being politically correct. I'm interested in being right according to God's word. I'm going to love you, but I'm going to stay with the word too. Amen. So doubt, discouragement, diversion, defeat, and delay. And I got to stop here. And we're going to pick up on next week because we're going to deal with ourselves and our dysfunctional families.